So we're just going to look for a short period of time this morning at the, the Christmas story. We've been talking all month about joy, and we started in James, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops patience, um, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be entire and perfect wanting nothing. So, you know, a lot of times you have, I said to my wife on the way in this morning, because I did not want to, I said, count it all joy. It's like we felt like we forgot a lot of things, <laughs> and um, different things happened, and then sound system didn't work as well as it should have this morning, so we just count it joy, yeah. because uh, when you're a Christian, actually, the Bible says you will have trouble. You'll have trouble when you get married, um, the Bible says, and my wife is a huge blessing, but we do have trouble, <laughs> but we always go beyond it, Amen. but I'm sure the trouble is always on my side, <laughs> right, yeah. right? Uh, but sometimes we, sometimes we, uh, how do you think it? We think sometimes like we just uh, become a Christian, we stamp our Christian card, and then when we get that stamped, if any trouble comes our way, like it, it won't even come. Like it's done. You're finished. Like somebody said to Brother Hagin one time, he said, you know, I thought once I got filled with the Holy Ghost, all my troubles were over. And he said, oh no. He said, you're just beginning. Right? But now we have the power to overcome and power to stand strong in the midst of those attacks and what happens. And um, really, you're not a threat to the devil if you're not born again and full of the Holy Spirit and full of God because you're just going to kind of go with the flow of life and do these type of things. Uh, but the good news is uh, you're, not only are you a threat to the devil, but you have authority over the devil. The Bible tells us in Ephesians that we're seated with Christ in heavenly places far above principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world. So if you don't know it, all these bad things that are happening, there's rulers of the darkness of this world that are inspiring people and moving upon people and urging people to do a lot of terrible and very evil things because uh, the devil's time, his lease on the earth is almost run out and he's really nervous about that. And, um, but greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. So we're not to be overcome by evil, but we're actually to overcome evil with good. So if you're going to climb a mountain, we went and looked at some property uh, this week, and uh, it's on a small mountain, and, um, you know, it had like all of these thorns and briars and stuff like that, and so I'm like, the kids want to come with me. We got to be like this deep, and there's like, I'm, my legs are getting like uh, scratched by the thorns and all this stuff. I said, why don't you guys hold back? So I'm walking, and I'm, I'm a grown man, and I'm trying to walk, and it's like grabbing my foot every time, like trying to stop me from walking. Well, I had to like to overcome that. I had to face some obstacles and, you know, to get over the top of the mountain. I went over the top of the mountain, saw what I wanted to see, and then came back. But it wasn't like, oh, just so easy. I just like get on a roller coaster and ride up, and I have to do nothing. I had to take steps and had to... Um, make progress. So we're talking about joy and the joy of the Lord and um, count it all joy when you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith uh, produces patience. So just to finish up the review, we learned that that word for patience is the Greek word hupomon and that that, that word does not mean um, that you endure something like you're being beat, physically beat, and you're like, oh, I'm just, I'm just going to endure this till it's over. But it actually is something that inside of you takes tragedy, takes defeat, and turns it into triumph. So it's more akin 
to endurance being built up by an athlete. So that if you're training, my wife and I, I said, train for the marathon. Maybe I trained more than she did for the last marathon because she was real busy with the kids. But uh, at any rate, we trained for the marathon. So when you're training, your muscles are being broken down. And um, whether it's for a marathon or any other, say, sporting event, you're exercising those muscles. Not only are you exercising them, but you break certain things down so that other things can be added too. So you're getting rid of fat a lot of times so that you can add muscle. And you get stronger and stronger and stronger. And so really the testing of our faith, we should count it joy because we know like this is not just like um, a bad day. This is adding to me if I let it. Yeah. It also can take away from you if you let it. So it's up to you or to me to let it add to or to take away from. So we count it all joy when we face these different things coming against us because we know that that testing is developing us and helping us to be mature and complete and entire, wanting nothing. So let's read uh, this morning in Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to read from the New Living Translation this morning. I'll start with verse 5, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. When Herod, was, when Herod was king of Judah, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth also was from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all the Lord's commands and regulations. They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order... Uh, was on duty that week and was the cuss in, you know, I should mention this, like all of the descendants of Aaron became priests because Aaron was like high priest. So all of his descendants became priests. So there were actually thousands of priests. And so because there were so many priests, all, each order only got to serve like two weeks out of the year to go into the temple. So and even that, they would cast lots to figure out, like, who was going to get to go into the temple. So the fact that he even got to go in the temple, he's just like, this is great. This is my week. I get to go in. I get to do this. So, you know, and they were very old, it says. So he's going into the temple, and he's very old, and his wife was kind of embarrassed because she had never had a child. And um, this is on his heart as he goes into the temple. So uh, one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As the custom of the priest was, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing uh, to the right of the incense altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear at what he saw. So like, he's like, this is my chance to go in, and I'm going in, and whoa. Now there's an angel of the Lord right here. So, um, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. And he will cause those that are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. That's amazing. 
That is really amazing. So let's continue, because otherwise I'll preach that. Zechariah said to the angel, how can this be, or, uh, how can I be sure this will happen? I am old now, and my wife is along, also well along in years. Then the angel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you this good news. But now, since you don't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. For my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Again, I'll pause for a second. It's amazing, like you might say, look at Zechariah and be like, dude, why didn't you believe God? What was, you know, what's your issue? You're like, now look, at you're losing out. Well, I really don't look at him as losing out. I'm kind of like, the Lord is so full of mercy that he's like, listen, if I don't shut your mouth, you're liable to like set the course of this whole thing off, right? So I want you to be able to have what you're asking me for. So I am helping you. What you think maybe I messed up and it's not good, it's actually really good for you. So he shut his mouth. Why? Because the angel said, because I want those words that I'm saying to come to pass. So I shut your mouth. So sometimes uh, the Lord will shut our mouth and we really want to use our mouth, but, but we need our mouth shut. And so the power of God will come to help us save us from ourselves. I love the Lord, like, no matter what you do, you can't go so far that he can't pull you back. You can't do something that's too evil or too bad for him to bring you back and to bring you into his family. He actually accomplished everything before you and I were on the face of the earth and before our mothers and fathers and grandmothers and grandfathers. He took care of any mistake that you would make, anything that you wouldn't do or that you would do that you shouldn't do or that you, um, where you mess up. So I love, that. I, I, I love that part where he's like, you know, I'm just going to shut your mouth. Because this is going to happen. I'm not going to let you uh, derail it. (laughs) Meanwhile, uh, verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting uh, for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. When he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. Then they realized from his gestures and silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. So imagine it's like all these people are just waiting. They know like this is this guy's chance and he's taken a long time. And, you know, maybe they were thinking he died, right? Because a lot of times tradition tells us that they would, like, tie a rope to the ankle of the priest so that, if, you know, they had uh, sin in their life or they had messed up, like, they might have to be pulled out dead. So they're like, what's going on? You know, should, Keith, why don't you, in... why don't you go in and see if he's okay, right? <laughs> like, no, I don't think. How about you go? And uh, then he comes out. So they're like, what? what in the world happened? And he can't talk. So everybody's, you know, kind of in awe of the spectacle and what's, what's happening. They're saying something very different is happening. Uh, when Zachar- uh, verse 23, when Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon afterward, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Verse 26, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will, be a very, he will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. 
you know, as I'm reading this, just place yourself there, like in this atmosphere, because this is, uh, this is uh, so amazing what happened. Because you think, like, you know, you're thinking of Zechariah, he only, like, once in a lifetime experience, if that, could you actually go into the presence of God and into the Holy of Holies? And he got to do it. And then Mary was a, a very humble young woman, and she's, like, frightened and disturbed, like, what is going on? Like, whoa. And, um, you know, then the angel begins to talk to her. Uh, verse 35, the angel replied, the Holy Spirit, um, or excuse me, 34, Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I'm a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby will be, uh, to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. So, you know, faith speaks, and faith speaks from the realm of the invisible and brings from the invisible realm to the visible realm. But a lot of times, like what we, what we read right here, uh, people used to say she was barren. So the angel's saying, you know what? People, natural people, they're just going to say what they see. So as soon as they see there's a bump on her belly, they're going to start to say, oh, you're not barren anymore. You can have a child. But we are people of faith, so we can go to the Word of God and go to God and pull out from the supernatural realm and speak it into the natural realm and see it come to pass. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. And I love Mary's humility. That she's just, you know what, I'm just here to serve. May everything that you said come true. Because it's, it's like a little bit beyond my mind. It's beyond what I can think, what I can come up with. But may it be true. And then, um, the angel left her. Verse 38. A few days later, Mary hurried down to the hill, a country of Judea, to a town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Amazing, like the, uh, you know, we of course know that life begins at conception, but the, uh, we have four young children, and all of my children, you could kind of like pick up their personality in the belly, in the womb, like before they come out. Evie was our first, and she's like, the whole time she's like, doing aerobics, kicking like this, all this, and she jumps to this day, like she just jump, jump, and jump, and jump, and jump, and um, the same. So the baby jumped for joy. Uh, Verse 42 says, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? Again, listen, listen to this, her relative, she's just like in awe, and humbled, I would say. When I heard your greeting, the Bible in, excuse me, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you, and then she said, you are blessed because you believe what the Lord uh, would do what he said. And I'm going to come back to that as soon as I finish reading Mary's song here. But you are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. And, you know, you can have a very blessed life. I know um, different people may have like you can look at different people in their life and say like I've heard people say 
Why does God love them more than he loves me? Because everything just goes right for them. Well, really, you could look at this verse and find out you are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. It's a very simple thing. You're blessed because you do that the, believe the Lord will do what he said. What the Lord said, he will do. And if you believe it, you'll be blessed. So um, all the way from receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to provision for your finances, to provision for your body, to uh, relationships, you'll be blessed if you believe what the Lord said he will do. So Mary responded, and really she's, she's responding by the Spirit. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones and has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this, this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. A couple things from her song that I wanted to point out is, you know, he shows mercy from generation to generation. So his mercy is just not for uh, the apostles and then the people of the early church when the church was first birthed and first started. We're actually part of that same church, and his mercy extends. The mercies of God actually are new every morning, and you cannot exhaust the mercy of God. He shows mercy from generation to generation. So he, so he shows mercy not only to my generation and those generations that have gone on ahead of me, but to those generations that are coming behind me and behind you and ahead of you. Um, to all that fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. So the Lord exalts the humble. One of my favorite verses is God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. And we talked in the, in the giving message today about grace and receiving grace. I know I need grace. And I, don't, I do not need God himself resisting me. So if God is resisting you, God himself resisting you, that's probably not a real good situation to be in. But... Um, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Um, people blame, you know, uh, being a pastor. I was associate pastor for nine years before this. And um, being in leadership, any position, a lot of times you get blamed for a lot of things um, that are uh, your fault and not your fault. But you get blamed, and God gets blamed for an awful lot of things. But really, we get ourselves into most of the fixes that we're into, or the devil tries to bring things on, and then uh, we'll a lot of times lay it off on God. But he exalts the humble. When you and I say, you know what, Lord, this is not of my doing, it's not of my making, but it's all of you. Every good thing, every perfect thing I, that I have comes from you. We actually put ourselves in a position to operate in and receive the grace of God in our situation. And... Um, Sometimes we think we're fighting against the devil, but we're really actually fighting against ourselves. We're fighting against things that we have put in motion and things that we have said or things that we have done, and really we're fighting against our own pride. And so what we do is we humble ourselves, um, and the Lord will exalt us. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty words. One of my favorite Smith Wigglesworth 
quotes is, I'd rather have a congregation full of people that are hungry for God than people that are filled with the Spirit. And if you know Smith Wigglesworth, if you read after him, I mean, like every other word out of his mouth is about being filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. But uh, you can't stop the quote there because he said, of course, I'd rather have both. But what he's saying is, your hunger for God actually creates an atmosphere that God can work in. Because your hunger for God is saying, I haven't arrived. I don't have everything that I need to have. I don't know everything I need to know. I'm hungry for you and for what you have. And I'm hungry to, ha- to allow you access into my life. I want to see you show up. And the danger we face as we learn more and more of the word of God is if we don't get it from our head to our heart, if we just get a head knowledge, knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. So we want to take what we're learning from the word of God, revelation that comes from God, and always have it under the mighty hand of God so that the Lord can really um, um, use us and flow through us. You can look at uh, denomination after denomination after denomination that started on fire for God, even full of the Holy Spirit. And today, you could look at them as a, as a whole group of people, uh, different, some different denominations, and say, like, well, maybe they're, they're kind of dead or waning or those type of things. Certainly not every individual is, and certainly not every individual denominational church is that way, but as a, as a movement or something that God begun, they got so tied to their traditions and, you know, uh, we being human like cookie cutter things so that all of a sudden we can say, okay, like, here's the five steps to receiving from God. Here's the five steps to prayer. If you, every single time, if you do this, then you'll get your answer to prayer. Well, it could kind of be that way, but it's not really like a formula like that. It's really coming to God every time in humility and saying, Lord, I'm coming to you. I'm nothing of myself. Without you, I'm nothing. But with you, in Christ, you made me amazing. Right? So we're always, we're always humbling ourselves uh, before the Lord. So he's filled the hungry with good things, and he sent the rich away with empty hands. So is that, what does that mean? Like, if you have all your money, just give it away. That's not really what that means. <laughs> if your money's holding you back, I think you could look at the example of Christ with the rich young ruler and say, okay, yeah, you should give. It'd be better to give all your money away than have all your money and go to hell. Right? If, you, if you have to hold so tightly to that security, to that ability that money gives you that you can't grab hold of Christ, then maybe you should give it away. But what he's saying right here is he's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty-handed. Well, the rich person or the rich man or woman says, I don't need anything. I can do everything myself. I don't need all this stuff. But the hungry one says, I'm hungry. Feed me. I need something. So I'm ready and I'm open to receive. So, you know, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm not going to uh, read the rest of the chapter. But you know there's over um, 300 prophecies concerning Christ uh, in the Old Testament. And the prophecies concerning Christ, every one of those uh, has been fulfilled. That he would come and how he would come to be a virgin, how he would die, thing after thing after thing after thing. And um, I was reading yesterday and... Um, there's a guy named Peter Stoner. I don't know if he took drugs or not, but that's his name. But he wrote a book called Science Speaks. And this book is actually uh, kind of old. It was in the mid-50s. But anyhow, I was reading a, a chapter from the book yesterday. And I really, really like this. Um, 
you know, Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 39, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Well, Jesus said this uh, in the Gospels, which means that the Gospels were not written, that the epistles were not written. But we had the Old, co- uh, old Covenant, the Old Testament, uh, and the prophets. So he, these scriptures, the Old Testament, speak of me. So all of these prophecies speak of Christ. Well, this guy uh, did a study, basically, in probability, and he said, let's just take eight of these uh, prophecies and see what are the odds that one man would fulfill eight, just eight of the 300. Let's, let's take the odds. So he took the odds, and he found that it was 10 to the 17th power odds that one man would actually fulfill all of these. Isn't that cool? Does that mean much to you? Do you have 10 to the 17th power money in your account? Are we, as a nation, in debt 10 to the 17th power? I have no idea. Um, 10 to the 17th power. So he went on and he said, okay, let me explain this to you. He said, if you took a silver dollar and you laid silver dollars touching each other uh, end to end over the whole state of Texas and then you made it two feet deep and you took one of those silver dollars and you marked that silver dollar. You could paint it whatever color you want, red, black, but just a different color than the rest. And you put it somewhere in the state of Texas. And then you took all two feet of silver dollars in the state of Texas. Who's driven across the state of Texas? It can take you like days, right? I mean, my goodness. <laughs> Everything's big in Texas. So, uh, and then you mixed them all up. And then you blindfolded someone and you said, okay, now you can start walking and you can stop anytime you want with your blindfold on and you reach down and I want you to pick out that one coin that I marked. That's the probability that one man would fulfill just eight of those prophecies. Is that amazing? <laughs> so then, you know, uh, I, I like this guy. I never read him until yesterday, but I'm going to have to read more stuff by him. But. So anyhow, he said... Uh, you know, that's just eight. But some people might say, well, what are the odds? You know, maybe that could still happen. So he said, well, let's just take 16. Let's say somebody, what are the odds that somebody would fill? Just 16 of the, like, the 300 and some prophecies. So um, that is, I'm going to have to look this one up. I believe it's 1 to the 57th power, 10 to the 57th power. No, 10 to the 45th power. So he said, what are the odds that somebody would feel 16? It's 10 to the 45th power. And I didn't, you know, for the sake of time, I'm, I'm sparing you the details. But he actually used a, a science class. And these numbers have been verified by the American Scientific Association. Uh, so um, he took the class and, you know, they would say, he would say, okay, well, what are the odds that somebody would do such and such? And whatever odds that they would come up with, he would actually lower the number. So every, every circumstance he used, you know, like... How many people were born in Bethlehem? You know, during the time of Christ, during that time, I think there were like, you know, I don't know, it was 20,000 people or something like that. So the odds that somebody would be actually born in Bethlehem were like one in 20,000. And um, then he said, well, how many people have been crucified? So you could say like the odds of somebody being crucified, people have been crucified besides Christ. People have been born in Bethlehem besides Christ. But the number of people who were born in Bethlehem and crucified, uh, uh, the number starts to dwindle down. 
right? Because we read in Isaiah, it talks about his hands being pierced and how he would come and thing after thing after thing. So um, he said, well, let's, let's figure 16. What are the odds that one person would fulfill 16 of these prophecies? He said, okay, so to do that, you have to take these silver dollars, the same silver dollars, and you have to um, melt them down so that you're actually making a sphere, right? Or put them together so you're making a sphere. And the center of the sphere would have to be the earth. And he said that the number of coins you'd have coming out in a sphere would be uh, 30 times as far it is from the earth to the sun. That's how many coins there are. And then you have to take that same person blindfolded and mix all the coins together and say, okay, now find that one coin. Okay, so that's why I like this guy because he didn't stop there. And he said, okay, what if we say one person fulfilled 48 of the prophecies um, about Christ? That is 10 to the 157th power odds that one person would fulfill that. I have to use my nose for this one because it gets a little complicated. So he said, you know, obviously a silver dollar is becoming too big for us to visualize this. So they decided to use an electron, which you cannot see with a microscope, right? You have to have a special, special uh, gear. So uh, it's about the smallest object they knew at that time. So, and at the time, this was again written in the 50s, um, the universe was known to be 6 billion light years in um, area. So like you'd have to travel 6 billion light years to reach the edges of the universe. So he said, we can take this and we have to make a solid ball of electrons. If we take this solid ball of electrons extending in all directions at the same distance, um, uh, it would be 6 billion light years. It would be 6 times 10 to the 28th times is how big this would be. So Here's what he said. To the extent, then, we know that this blindfolded man cannot pick out a marked electron, we know that the Bible is inspired. This is not merely evidence. It's proof that the Bible is inspiration by God. Proof so definite that the universe is not large enough to hold its evidence. Because, like, the universe is, at that point, was um, six billion light years big. And he is saying, I'm I'm missing the one number, uh, that you would have at least like I think it's thousands of those universes, if you just made balls that are six billion, the size of our universe, you'd have like thousands of these balls that you'd have to choose an electron, not a silver dollar, an electron from. So it reminded me of where, uh, you know, uh, the writer said that even the books, uh, the world itself could not contain the books of everything that Jesus Christ both said and did. And we realize that our faith that we have and the word of God that we have is so solid that the universe is not big enough to contain how true Jesus Christ is and how true it was that he came. Because God moved upon men of old to prophesy thousands of years before Christ came and hundreds of years before Christ came exact details of how he would come. Not only how he would come, but how he would live. Not only how he would live, but how he would die. Not only how he would die, but how he would rise again. So that we have um, solid evidence that what we believe is true and that Jesus Christ 
is the Son of God and is alive today and seated at the right hand of God in heaven. If you'll stand with me, please. If you're here this morning, I just ask you to be in an attitude of prayer, bow your heads and close your eyes. Christians are praying. Um, If you're here this morning or you're listening online, you know, Christ came not only to uh, take our sin, but he came to remove our sin, remove the stain of sin and the, the scent of sin. Christ died for you and he died for me. There is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. Heaven is real and hell are real. If you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? Would you spend eternity in heaven with God or would you um, be apart from God in hell? Joshua said, choose this day whom you'll serve. And Elijah said, how long are you going to falter? If the Lord is God, follow him. Today is the day of salvation. Jesus was known and is the Prince of Peace. He brought peace from God, peace that passes all of our understanding. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, I invite you to slip up your hand and we'll pray with you and for you. You can receive him today. Um, If you're listening online, just send us an email at info at anchordc.org. We'd be um, thrilled to pray with you, get you some materials that can help you start living for the Lord, start your new life in Christ. If you're here today, I want each of us to just take our selves, all that we are, and come before the Lord, open our hearts to Him. Heavenly Father, we come right now in the name of Jesus. We thank you for all that Christ has done. Father, we thank you that your word is true. Father, we thank you that you have um, given us solid ground to trust you and to believe you, that everything that you say will come to pass. Father, I pray for each of us that uh, the things that you've been dealing with us about, the things that you want us to not only continue in, but to step out in, Father, that you would right now, uh, even in this place, make clear to each and every person that's here, Father, that you will help us to not live below uh, what you've called us to do, below what you've given us, Father, but that we be right in the middle of your perfect will. Father, I pray for those this morning that are um, single, Father. I pray that you would um, strengthen them in their inner man, Father, that if they desire a spouse, Father, that you would help that connection to come to pass, Father. I plead the blood of Jesus over your plan for each and every person that's here, for the young and middle-aged and those that are more mature, Father. I pray that we wouldn't miss one thing that you have for us. Father, I pray that you'd fill us all afresh and anew with your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you so much for not leaving us alone, but giving us your Spirit to live inside of us, to bring us confidence, to bring us strength, to bring us understanding. Father, I uh, pray for uh, each of us as we go, Father, that you'll give us words to speak to our friends, to our family, our coworkers this week, Father, that our words would bring your light, uh, 
and your life to each and every situation. Father, I thank you that you care about the smallest things in our lives and in the lives of those that don't know you. Father, we pray that the name of Jesus Christ would be lifted up in our city and in our nation, that uh, the hearts of young and old men and women would turn towards Jesus Christ and come to know him as Lord and as Savior. We declare that Jesus is Lord, that you are on our side, for the blood has been applied, every need will be supplied, and nothing denied. So we enter into rest, and we know that we're blessed. We've passed the test, and we get your best. In Jesus' name, amen.